Dave, thank you for being a friend. Thank you for being a friend. You are a pal and a confidant. True. I've been watching a lot of Golden Girls. Have you? Recently, yeah. Because it's uh, literally everything else uh, on television gives me uh, anxiety. Any uh, great episodes recently? Well, let's see. I've seen uh, a couple of clip shows. Because there were a couple down the years where, like, Blanche was going to sell the house. And it was like, oh, all these wonderful times we've had here. Do you remember? Right. So those, um, the one with Dick Van Dyke, where he decides he wants to stop being a lawyer and be a party clown. Right. Um, Yeah. Just a lot of takes. Oh, there's just so many. Yeah. I, of course, we're in a Golden girl state of mind because our guest this week, H. Allen Scott, is, I, I think it's fair to say, the world's number one Golden Girls fan. He's up there. Alaska Thunder, Thunderfuck might uh, give him a run for his yeah. money. But and, that's it. And didn't uh, – I think they co-hosted the Golden Girls podcast. The, the, we'll, we'll, we talk about this in the interview, I yeah. think. Uh, well, he certainly but, did and Elliot Glazer as well. Sure. And yeah. uh, and and H. Allen, of course, is a, is a writer and comedian and raconteur yeah. who uh, co-hosts uh, – you're making it worse with our friend Elliot Glazer and also Brent Sullivan, Brent who we have got to book on the show. I don't believe we haven't. And you're going to be on their podcast. I will be on in the coming weeks. Great. Uh, and uh, also has a documentary called Latter Day Jew mm-hmm. that everybody should check out. Just a fascinating guy all the way around uh, from my hometown of St. Louis, Missouri. That's right. Uh, listen and learn from H. Allen Scott. We are here with H. Allen Scott. Thank you so much. Thanks for being here. Long time listener, first time caller. Oh, I love it. Thank you for I being. I always want to say that. Why do I? That's the stupidest thing to it's say. It's a fun thing to say. But yeah. it's it's. I mean, it's old. It's like a dad joke at this point. Sure. It's timeless. But it's it's a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> we are not young. No, no, it's I'm okay. not young. It's okay to embrace. I will it. say I'm not young. I've earned. Yeah, we've earned the right to do dad humor. I yeah, suppose. yeah. Even if you're not a dad, I mean, your dad's you pets. Like there's dad's yeah. capacity. We're My entering an era right of gay dad humor. Yeah, that's wow. okay. So that would involve like the occasional dick joke. Well, I guess. Yeah. Right? yeah. I don't Probably know. Probably more than occasional. Yeah. I imagine. Yeah, or the double entendre. Yeah. Did a drag queen bingo thing the other night. Oh, where at? uh, At Soho House. They do it once a month. And it was a lot of fun, but it was like every joke was sex and age. No, it was uh, maybe a girl. Okay. Running for Congress. Running for Congress. Yeah. And Indica Sativa. Don't know Indica. And they were great. Yeah. But it, literally everything was sex or age. That's something that so really- 69, blah, blah, blah. I-21, yeah, I say that all the time because I-21. Like, but yeah. everything, it was full dry dad humor. I'm all about that. Like, I love a good sex joke, but it gets so, like, to me, it's a fart joke at this point. Mm. Like, it's just one of those things or a poop joke or whatever. It's just so typical that I just, oh, it's just it makes me sigh. Yeah. yeah. Have you heard good dick jokes? Um- only if it involves a dick. Mm-hmm. Like, I think if a, if a joke, especially if it's by text and it, a dick is involved in the joke, which I yeah. love doing. Like, I do that with friends sometimes where just, like, you throw a little tip of your dick in or, like, a little bit of a dick trick or something weird with your dick. That's a good dick joke. Okay. Uh, so, I'm sorry. So, for example, you're in a text thread with friends and then yeah. you are, and then you send them an, a, a, dick. a dick pic. Yeah. Of yourself. Of myself. 
And it's sometimes it's, I'll Photoshop it too. There's one that I have where it's my dick and I Photoshopped Paula Dean, like the writing it thing, you know? Uh-huh. Her, and there's all, I do a lot too where like someone's like sad, like a sad emoji on my dick. Because mm. I just think that's funny. That's yeah. pretty good. Yeah. See, these are good examples of da- yeah. gay dad humor. Yeah, gay, sure. Zaddy humor. But the, if you will. the kind you cannot share with children. Like dad humor no. to me is like fundamentally for children. Right. Whereas these are not for children. That's okay. Yeah. Because okay. that's illegal. It's true. Yeah. Um, what is on your current pop culture diet? What are you watching, listening to? Loving? I am currently obsessed with Gail King. I can't yeah. get over Gail King. I have to have CBS this morning. Every single morning, I TiVo it, and I'm so pissed at my TiVo because it's doing that automatic update thing. Mm-hmm. Oh. So, like, it cancels the recording midway through, and I don't get my second hour of Gail, which is, oh, like, no. the best hour of Gail. I'm obsessed with Gail King. I think she is the zeitgeist. I think she is in the zeitgeist right now. That interview with R. Kelly, like, spurred it. And she's always been America's best friend. And now she's becoming, like, the friend. Like, she is, like— Right. It's almost that—it will never be this, but it's almost as if Oprah is Gail's best friend. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Gail is the shining light at the end of a tunnel. She is the—she's the weirdo who will, like—like, she just interviewed the other day um, Elizabeth McGovern from Downton Abbey, Uh and Elizabeth McGovern was giving sort of, like, a really— stoic interview and not really being personal at all and then it comes out I guess the same weekend as Hustlers or maybe a week apart or something mm-hmm. and she was like down Nebby and Hustlers what a double feature and it's just like and Elizabeth McGovern didn't find it funny mm-hmm. didn't find it humorous there was nothing to laugh about and I'm just like that's funny come on come on lighten up Gail is bringing light into the world I'm obsessed with Gail King I love that and yeah. do they do a Today Show type of thing where the first couple hours are hard news and then we get into no it's know, pretty much morning. I mean what I love about CBS, because I am a news person, I, I worked in journalism, like, I used to work in politics, like, I'm a news, hardcore news person, and CBS This Morning is, like, all about the news. It's, like, two hours of just yeah. blissful, not blissful, because it's usually sad, but, like, news, like, hard news, and then Gail interjects some fun. Yeah. yeah. You know? How do you feel about uh, the morning show coming to Apple TV? I'm, <sighs> okay, this is controversial. Oh, boy. Because, like... I hate Reese Witherspoon with a passion okay. I, because she stole Felicity Huffman's Oscar. Now, I know now it's probably bad to say that Felicity Huffman deserved that Oscar because she's in prison or will sure, be going sure, to prison sure. and she has that record. She may have already gone and been out Is she? by I the don't time even, this yeah. comes out because it was such a <laughs> – Yeah, it's a quick one. Sentence. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's like a 14-day It's a lunch. Yeah. It's a lunch at yeah. jail. It's, it's literally – it's a conference. Yeah. It's, a, it's a technology conference. Yeah. Um, but – she deserved the Oscar for Transamerica. And Reese Witherspoon mm. played that pretty girl who was America's sweetheart who won the Oscar for that Johnny Cash movie. The, right. What was it called? I forget. Walk the Walk line. Yeah, it's the only time in Academy Awards history that I've turned off the show twice in one episode. Oh, like, you t- turned it off? Turned it off out of anger. It was the best original song when Dolly Parton lost for Transamerica um, to the rap group. I forget the rap group's name. Hard out here for Pimp 3 yes, Mafia. Yes, exactly. Oh, yeah. And I got so furious because Dolly Parton deserved it for 9 to 5. She lost in 1980 for that. Right. She deserved it for this one. She lost. Got furious. But I turned mm-hmm. it back on for Felicity Huffman's category because I knew that she would hopefully be the underdog and win. And she didn't, and I turned it off. It and was a horrible you, year. Do you stand for Felicity in general, aside from the recent scandal? Or no, just that I mean, I think she had. I think she's an entitled, you know, person, sure. which celebrity person who did a horrible thing and deserves a longer sentence than what she deserved or got. Right, right. Uh, yeah, no, but. 
That doesn't mean that she didn't give a, give a great performance and it's didn't true. deserve that Oscar. Sure. She deserved that Oscar. Did you see Transamerica? I of saw course. it three times in theaters. Right. Do you think that she'll have a career after this? Oh, yeah. Of you course. You do. White people always do, except for like Harvey Weinstein, I guess. Um, Kevin but like, Spacey's out, I think. Kevin Spacey, you good. think? Yeah. I don't know. I think he could do like an 80-year-old turn. You know what I mean? But his shit is illegal yeah. and sketchy. Yeah. yeah right? it, just feel, it also just feels like too. even yeah. if all, if all the people who probably secretly believe like what they did isn't that bad mm. wouldn't have the balls to put them – to align themselves with them I don't know because you know? attention is one of those things that like – especially in Hollywood. I mean we all know this. Like – People love attention. It doesn't mm. matter how it comes half the time. People die for that attention. It's just they're so eager for it and hungry for it that I think that often overrides any rational thinking of I could get blowback. I could right. get mm. someone attacking me for what I did in the past. You know what I mean? And it keeps right. them from it, – it doesn't keep them from doing other shitty things. Right. I don't now, know. If Transamerica happened now, yeah. she would get a lot of heat for – taking that part oh yeah of course i mean i think rightfully so too it's a different time and we should be giving trans actors roles to play themselves uh and but that doesn't mean i mean i don't know i'm always on the fence of that because there's the whole debate of like should gay people be able to play straight roles exactly yeah and it's like i think an actor can fundamentally do just like a comedian like I think everything's on the table for comedy everything can be made funny there's no like subject you shouldn't touch it's all about intent and like what's yes. your intent when you do it. And I think the same with roles. Like if someone takes the I mean and, and Felicity Huffman, I mean, there are trans actors in the film working with who worked with Felicity Huffman to make her part, you know, accurate. Mm. And and I think on one level it's like you have to have the name attached with the project to get sure. it going. And it's it's this weird, complicated political system that, like, sure, she – I don't think she should play the part now. Right. But, like, I also think she'd be great at the part now. Sure. She still looks kind of ugly. Also, like, you know, tr- obviously now we know a lot about Jeffrey Tambor, and I think it is yeah. very right that he is fired and that the show is sort of ending on that note. But yeah. but I also – but as, just as a fan, I'm grieving it because it was a beautiful performance. Yeah. You know, and – um and there had never been a series that centered a gay, I mean, a trans character, yeah. even though it was played by his cis, you know. Yeah, man, I mean, that's who the— Who turned out to be a predator. Which he denies completely. Right. Which is like, I mean, he went on to—and he still got great work on Arrested Development with the new season of Arrested Development. Like, oh. he's still a working actor out there getting the parts that he actively denies doing anything. And the I Cancel think, culture. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And it's—I it's, uh, mean, I, I think it's creepy what he's accused of doing, and I— I don't even know how you prove something like that other than just believing the accusations of people who are saying it and understanding that they don't have a history of making wild accusations against people. Like, I I think that really is when people are like they want to question the like when you say believe all women. And I do think you should. But I also think you should like look at it and be like, okay, well, this person clearly doesn't have a history of just making these accusations. So like this accusation holds some weight, you know. And when the accusation is so specific and nuanced, it's like if this person were going to make something up to to set you up, they'd Mm -hmm. probably make it a wilder sort of bigger story. Exactly. My BFF, Gail King, the other day was interviewing Harvey Weinstein's lawyer Mm -hmm. on CBS This Morning. Mm -hmm. And the lawyer was saying, like, a lot of the the 70-some accusations against Harvey Weinstein are, like, a lot of them are false and all these things. And Gail King's like, 
Salma Hayek has nothing to lose. Like, yeah. why why should she not share her story? Like, she's a billionaire. Mm-hmm. Literally, she's married to a, like a French makeup billionaire. Like, yeah. she's a billionaire. She has nothing to lose. Her career isn't at stake. Her saying this, you have to give it, you have to kind of believe it because why else would she share it? She doesn't need the attention. Yeah. Yeah. She gets plenty of attention. She's fine. She's great. She's still on the high end. Was this Lisa Bloom that she's interviewing? Or she's uh, not her, she's I not his her lawyer name. Anymore, No, no, but. it's not Lisa Bloom. No, it's a Chicago lawyer. Okay. Great eyebrows. Okay. Yeah. Chicago sex lawyer. Yeah. <laughs> next in, uh, in the med and fire. Yes. Um, anyway. Yeah. 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 Uh, what else are you watching? <laughs> what else am I watching? Mm-hmm. Um, I watch a lot of true crime because I'm always ready for the killer. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe in preparing yourself. And mm-hmm. like we were talking about before we started recording, I position myself in certain places so that I know have an easy exit just in mm-hmm. case something happens. Um, I'm not necessarily scared of the killer because I do feel like, like when I was a kid, I wanted to be kidnapped because I knew I'd be able to survive and then benefit off of it through fame later. Right. Um but I knew I had, like, the resilience to survive. And so, like, I watch a lot of true crime, a lot of Oxygen, a lot of ID Channel, just to yeah. sort of, like, know what's out there. Yeah. What's your, what's your, what is your favorite murder? What is your favorite crime well, story? Well, Jean Benet is my favorite murder because I solved okay. it years ago. And I became friends with um, an FBI profiler and a former, uh, like, who's the British FBI comparison? What's the? Oh, that. Yes. Uh, that, yeah, whatever are, they are. Letters, yeah. Yes. Two of them yeah, um, yeah. who they did a documentary for CBS about Jean Benet. And then I, of course, had to become friends with them. And now they're, like, producers of the film, Latter-day Jew and all that. But... Because we all are in agreement on how Jean Benet unfortunately died. And? Well, her brother did it. I mean, okay. I, well, That's, allegedly. I have so? to say allegedly because okay. I don't want to get sued because they are so happy. But, right. I, but her brother allegedly did it. I can only remember fragments of the story, but I know it's got follow the pineapple. pineapple. It's follow pineapple. the pineapple. Right, right, What's right. There's the undigested the pineapple. pineapple in her stomach. In okay. the photos, in the crime scene photos, there's a bowl of pineapple with milk in it, which is oftentimes a treat the kids would have, the parents said. And she had undigested pineapple in her stomach. The 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 uh not laceration the indent on her skull that was the blow that the blow that killed her fits perfectly with a flashlight that her her father had been given by one of his sons from a previous marriage as a Christmas present because it was Christmas Day. If you put the flashlight in the wound, it fits perfectly. Oh there was a history of altercations between the brother and Jean Benet. He had defecated in her room, would smear the species on the wall. Like he hit her with a golf club, I think, at one point. Like Jesus. there was there was lots of sort of tension between yeah. the two. And it's not unlikely that a kid she takes a piece of pineapple from his bowl that he had as a treat. He gets angry because he has a history of being angry at her. He takes the closest thing, a flashlight. He hits her on the head. She passes out. Or he probably doesn't. I I think that at the time he didn't know that he killed her. Right. Yeah. Allegedly. I think that he hit her. She passed out. He went and he told his parents. Mm-hmm. His parents then did the horrible, I allegedly maybe, did the horrible things that happened to her after that incident. Right. Yeah. So it was not a small foreign faction. Nope. It was not a small foreign faction, and I solved the case years ago. I was telling people for years, follow the fruit, follow the fruit. Uh-huh. No one believed me. I had studied the case meticulously, and then finally CBS, also home to my friend Gail King, mm-hmm. solved what I have believed forever to be what happened, and now I'm friends with 
Laura Richards and Jim Colucci of Real Crime Profile wow. fame. Yeah. And how come is, is anyone going after the brother? Well, I mean, no, because there's nothing they can do. In the Colorado law, you have to be 10 years old in order to be convicted of a crime um, and to be even able to commit the crime uh-huh. uh, under under Colorado law. And he was nine and a half, like really, mm. not even, I think he was just shy of being 10 wow. at the time of the crime. So no, the only thing that potentially probably could happen, and I don't even know what the statute of limitations are, is possible involvement by the father. But, you know, who mm. knows? But yeah, I'm obsessed with it. That's and my favorite murder. They did interview him mm-hmm. a couple of years ago. On right? Dr. Phil. On Dr. Phil. Yeah, and the odd thing with Dr. Phil is the lawyer... For Dr. Phil is also the lawyer for the father. So, like, that's how that all got connected. Yeah. So, that's how Dr. Phil got the interview. And it's like, how is this an unbiased interview if your lawyer right. is the one who set it up? Like, your lawyer protects you, and then he gets you this interview. And so, it was yeah. Dr. Phil's approach, I'm here to exonerate this kid, yes. essentially? Yeah. yeah. When it's like, you don't, you can't really do that. All right. You're not unbiased. You have a stake in this. Yeah. Yeah. It was kind of – it was a creepy – I mean, obviously, it was a creepy interview. Mm-hmm. But he just kind of had – he was just a weird – I mean, he's kind of hot, though, in that, like, strangle you kind of way. Like he's He's, like, hot in a – like, you know he's going to be weird in bed. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. You know he's probably going to hum something strange or, like, whisper, like, oh, I really want Cheerios. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, something, yeah, yeah. like, stupid – like, random. Mm-hmm. And or maybe pineapple. Or pineapple. <laughs> I want pineapple and milk, which is a I'm gross treat. A yeah, it's pineapple and milk. Pineapple in itself, I love. Yes, I just, I'm, I'm, also, I'm not a dairy person. So it's I'm also very aesthetic. He looks like heartburn. a Duplass brother, kind of. I'm yeah, I mean that's not a that's not a great picture of him. He does no. have an unfortunate mm-hmm. smile because yeah, he does smiles. one of those closed mouth smiles. Couldn't look yeah. more like a murderer if he yeah. tried. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, allegedly. You know, guys don't want to get allegedly, sued. Allegedly, allegedly. Okay, were you obsessed with the Sean Hornbeck? Um, Kidnapping in St. Louis. Yes, I was. I was too. Because uh, it was down the street from my home. Yeah. Where my house, where, I mean, we're both from St. Louis. Where, are you from? Yeah. Where in I St. grew up Louis? in Kirkwood. Oh, Kirkwood. You're both from Kirkwood too. I guess officially De Pere. Okay, yeah. But That's I what I thought. Because I, yeah. I remember us talking about that previously. Yeah. Who yeah. Was yeah. This I, other Linda person? From well, Louis? okay. So it was this kid. And he. I guess Great he case. disappeared in like 91, let's say. Yeah, something like that. Um, he was 12 or 13. Mm-hmm. Um, it was in a, a town called Kirkwood. Which I actually think he was younger than that. I think he was because he, he was been. a teenager when he got found. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. So he he disappeared. Um, it was in Kirkwood where, where there's like a, a proper main street and there's like a little train it's station Mayberry. and an ice cream store. It's very Mayberry. Yeah. And, uh, and so he disappeared and, and people, you know, there were signs that whole summer. Like, yeah. I think I hung signs. Yeah. Like I wanted to get involved. It was, was all, it was all over the news. Yeah, it was all over the news. But there were lots of kids going missing around that time too yeah, in St. True. Louis. So this kid was found how many years, like eight years later. Yeah. Something like that because a kid had. Like similar situation, gone yes. missing. Yeah, not in Kirkwood, in like southern Missouri, like near the Boot Hill, I think. Uh-huh. And the kid had been missing for like a couple of weeks, and uh, the boy was who Sean, who had uh-huh. been kidnapped for years. They found the little boy, and then they found Sean at the yeah, same the residence. Little boy brought them back to the house where, and he had been like the place where he had been kept was a quarter mile away from his home. Yeah, and he like. I mean, you could probably make a case that it was Stockholm Syndrome. I just recently watched mm-hmm. the Oprah interview that they Definitely gave was. after after yeah. he was found. And he talked about sending – like there was a website that they made to find him. And he messaged his father on the website not saying it was him but saying something like, do you still think 
he's alive or something. Like the kid messages father. He had access to the internet. He was playing games. He could go outside. He could do all these things. So you could make a case that it was Stockholm syndrome, that this kid was essentially, you know, terrified what would happen to him. And he didn't go into details about what happened to him, but I think you can probably assume what happened. And, and the kid just kind of lived for years, but then there was something when the new kid was brought in, it, it shifted in something in this kid. And I think there was this protection that this other kid, Sean, was mm-hmm. doing for the little kid. Um, and the guy who was the kidnapper, he was the local pizza guy at Emo's yep. on yeah. Kirkwood Road. Yep. Pizza. Wow. He made my pizza. I ate his pizza. Because sure. I, wow. I eat a lot of pizza, especially in St. Emo's Louis. It's delicious. Del- uh, so polarizing cool. topic, but yes, it is delicious. It's I stand by it. it. Yeah. Even if it's kidnapper, you know, child predator. Oh, that makes it problematic. Yeah. But it's still delicious. It is still delicious with the garlic cheese bread too. And um, now, and so now that kid is like, you know, he's probably 30. Yeah. By now. Yeah, yeah. And and he's just, you know, kind of gotten back to normal life. He seemed even after he was found fairly level, fairly yeah. level headed. I mean, yeah. the Oprah interview, you can watch it on YouTube because I did. He... Seemed after the kidnapping, after he was discovered, he was very close with his father. You could, mm-hmm. He kept looking to his father in the interview. You could definitely tell there was an emotional attachment that he, after being found, was latching himself to his father. And he and his father, in the interview, there was a lot of just sort of taking care of each other and making sure that this kid was okay. But he seemed fine. And I'm thinking, like, after a kidnapping, something that tra- that long of a kidnapping, I'd be a mess. I'd yeah. be tragic. I would be, yeah, you know— I'd probably look great. I'd probably be thin. But he, no, he did look good. He looked good. He was a handsome kid, and I'm sure he's a very handsome man. I mean, I go back to Missouri quite often to see my family or to perform or whatever. And I, there is something about that, like, you know, soft belly Missouri man who just, you know, he voted for Trump, but you just won it. Jesus yeah. Christ. You know yes. what I mean? He's on Twitter. He is? He is. He's on Can Twitter. I see is he handsome? Can it? Yeah, he is. He, yeah. he is. He yeah, looks he is. very young. Oh, yeah. He does. Oh, that's this is an old picture. That's an old picture. <laughs> that's this, a, he was like, he was was like I want to make sure you remember who I am. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. I think this there's is... even an organization that they have now to help with other kids that have gone missing and stuff. There was a recent case nice. in Missouri. I forget her name. You would remember Angela something. It was in the early 90s. She was reported missing. Uh-huh. And, uh, and then they found her body and she was like tied to a tree in St. Charles. Yeah. Um, Jesus. And she was barely alive, but she had been there for days, and then she eventually died. And they just found her killer, or her rapist, Jesus. I guess, eventual killer, um, through DNA uh, years later. While we're on this cheery topic, have you seen that Sandy Hook ad? We're was recording it? this the day no, after that. Oh, no, no, describe. I, I refuse to watch it. You really should. Is it It's by the group, the the organization? Yeah, it's Sandy Hook Promise or whatever. Yeah. And it's it is— it One looks town. like a Target back-to-school ad yeah. where it's just like, these colorful folders really help me organize my homework or yeah. whatever. And then it's – and then it – it like the school where this like peppy back-to-school ad is being filmed, there's a shooting. Wow. But like – but the kids don't break the the rhythm of the ad really. Yeah. It's just – it's – fuck – it will So they're looking for folders while guns are going off? No, it's just – it's – I, I don't want to spoil too much, mm-hmm. but it's like it's it's all about like stuff that they bought for back to school and and, it, it, and how they have to use it in an actual. It, it's I don't want to spoil. Yeah, it. yeah. Just Do watch it. Fear and it will fuck you up. Shootings. 
Do I, probably not as much as I should, but it does occur to me sometimes when I, like when I'm in a packed theater, I sometimes find myself like, oh, this would be the perfect place. We are stuck here. I'm on edge, especially because of, for some reason, the Walmart shooting really hit me. Mm -hmm. And because I shop a lot and I, 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 I find I was talking with, with Michael, my boyfriend a couple weeks ago about this. We were at Disneyland or something. And like, I find myself like on edge, especially if I hear a noise or something like that. I'm very much because I am always ready for the killer. I think that's probably part of it. But also like, I think because there's been such a frequency of mass shootings recently that like in public spaces, I feel aware of it. I feel aware that like something could happen. Like I'm not necessarily looking for like where I would block. And my boyfriend's like, you can't control it. If it happens, it happens. Like you can't think about it, but it's also like when I'm at target or whatever I do, especially like if I go to the target in Burbank or Mm -hmm. for some reason, I feel like the farther I get out of Los Angeles, the more I'm scared for like something could happen. I don't know. I mean, that's probably really shitty of me to say, but it, I, it, it's well, on my mind. There are all these areas, these pockets outside LA where you might as well be in like Southern Ohio. Yeah. Or- I mean, you know, Trump didn't win sort of Orange County, but like he came close and it was yeah. Hillary was the first Democrat in a long time to win Orange County yeah. presidential candidate. And like if I go anywhere outside of LA for anything and because of promoting the movie and stuff, I'm going to a lot of synagogues and stuff outside of Los Angeles. And I was just in Santa Clarita recently. And like, I stopped by to kill time at like, there was like the only thing out there was like a Walmart. So I got a Starbucks coffee at a Walmart. And it made me think of it. It made me think Mm -hmm. of like how I'm not, I don't come to this kind of Walmart a lot. I don't go to Walmart a lot. And, and I'm just aware of it. Yeah, right. yeah, it's very strange. I was just at a music festival in uh, in Southern Ireland, mm-hmm. and and it was uh, it was on this huge estate, and and you could camp there and all that kind of thing. And the thing that blew my mind was that we just walked in, mm-hmm. like there was no, no metal security? detector, there was no pat down, there was no oh, wand. That's scary. If you had a cooler, they checked for glass, and that was it. But it wasn't scary because there aren't any guns. You know yeah. what I mean? There are at least no fucking assault weapons. So, yeah. like, I walked in and I was like, what the fuck was that? And nobody that I was with, all Irish people, and they were like, well, what are you surprised yeah. about right now? That's so and just in that moment, I didn't notice how much that fear was in the back of my mind. Yeah. But in that moment, I was like, well, nobody's worried here because they have no reason to worry here. Yeah. It's not going to happen. Yeah. Wow. So to be able to, like, take that off of your shoulders. Mm-hmm. I didn't, I didn't know there was a thing to take off my shoulders, mm-hmm. but Interesting. I, it, when I, when it came off, it felt nice. Wow. Fun fact so about I guess, me. I, I guess ha- I am a little worried. I hate live music. Really? Really? I hate live music. Okay. I, I've tried, it's like, it's like olives and mushrooms. Like I've tried really hard over the years to like it and mm-hmm. I can't, I just can't. Even when it's an artist you love? Even if it's an artist I love. I mean, the only concert I can say I've genuinely enjoyed over the past few years, there was a, a Robin concert at Radio City Music Hall that I really liked and cause there were seats and a lot of people weren't standing up. So I was into it. Uh-huh. Um, and a Dolly Parton concert I really liked, but like for the most part, I just, I, I don't like crowds mm-hmm. in that sort of situation where like, I like, I can handle a crowd of people just shopping and stuff, but if everyone's attention is focused in one area in a crowd, mm-hmm. I feel really overwhelmed. I yeah. don't know why. Huh. And 
I just I every time I'm at a concert, my boyfriend, my boyfriend years ago in Chicago when I went to school there, he was obsessed with Bright Eyes, and we'd go to this theater because Bright Eyes would play there a lot, and we'd go to this small little theater to hear Bright Eyes, and I just kept thinking like, a this music sucks, but also b it was early Bright Eyes before he actually like I think in my opinion found his voice, uh-huh. um, but. It would have sounded better on the CD. Like, yeah. I, just, I didn't need, I could be in my nice apartment and order Domino's and listen to the CD. And as part of it, the 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 pressure to physically be part of it, to stand yeah. up, to dance. It's a forced sh- merriment thing. Right. It's like, my friend Brandy says that a lot about the the how we're the type of people that just like, I can't stomach forced merriment where I'm supposed to just be happy. Like when, like... I just can't stand forced merriment. Like if I feel like I'm in a situation where everyone is feeling the same emotion and I feel forced to make feel that emotion, I can't stand it. I want out. We've talked about that recently, like that we both have seen some live shows here recently where I was, especially as I get older, it it is a little harder. Mm -hmm. And I think the forced merriment is part of the issue. Yeah. It's like, Am I dancing enough? Am I into this enough? Am I like, how much longer is this? When can we sit down? But it applies to lots things. of things. Kids, sure. you know, animals. Sure. Like if you're not an animal person and someone like you brought your dog in, which is lovely. And I am an animal person. Thank God. But if I wasn't, you have to pretend that would be a forced merriment thing of yep. being like, hello, you yeah. know, and it's, you don't feel it. But because you don't want to create an awkward situation, you can't be like, I'm not an animal person. Yeah. What about theater? You mean like plays? I can if it's quiet, I can handle. If 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 it's in the dark and Mm -hmm. people can't see, like I can have my own reaction, Mm -hmm. you know. But like because if it's a concert, there's the wooing and the hollering and the excitement and 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 it's just you feel like you gotta do that. You can't sit there and scowl. And I love to scowl. Sure, you can scowl. Yeah, but then you're that guy who just sits there with his Diet Coke and scowls for two hours while someone jumps. Like, it's just not, like, it's not fun, you know? I can scowl at home in peace and happiness. Um, Before we take a break, I mean, I want to talk about this more, but can you tell us about your film? Yeah, I was raised Mormon. I um, obviously am a homosexual. And then I converted to Judaism right around chemo and cancer that year of all of that. And uh, a bunch of, because of a true crime thing that I was working on and meeting Jim and Laura and stuff, a person associated with them thought that having a bar mitzvah and sort of exploring those themes of individuality and being your unique self would be an interesting film. So we made a film about me getting ready for my bar mitzvah in my thirties and went around the world and, Talked about what it meant to be a Jew. And what was your way in to, to converting? Well, I had always, like, wanted... I mean, ever since uh, when I when I was... When I left being Mormon, basically, in Missouri, uh, and went into college and started, like, having all the sex, mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I knew it, Mormon wasn't for me, and I started exploring other options because spirituality, not so much God, but spirituality was always important. And uh, I always kind of affected a sort of a Jewish personality in my stand-up because I was loved people like Nora Ephron or I was obsessed with Penny Marshall or Barbara Streisand or Bette Midler, these people. And so I kind of took B. Arthur and I kind of took on that type of way of mm-hmm. uh, talking. And people just assumed I was Jewish and so much so my counselor thought I was going home for the high holidays like one year and I didn't know what she meant. And then I started studying more about what Judaism meant and the questions that I had when I was a Mormon and they were delaying my baptism because I was a bad Mormon – uh, 
and they couldn't answer those questions then. They were being answered later when I started studying Judaism. And then like, after what, what cancer, questions? I decided to switch. The, the Christian obsession with death. I don't get it. I don't get the whole idea of like being obsessed with heaven and what happens after you die because I feel like a lot of Christianity, especially Mormonism, dealt with everything you do is leading up to something that may or may not exist. And so you have to live in a certain way in order to get that thing that may or may not exist. And it's all focused on the ramifications of what could happen if you don't do the things in life that could happen after you die. And it just... It feels really spiteful. It felt really spiteful to Very me. punitive. Yeah. To. And I'm like, why not just not worry about that part and, like, just do you now, you yeah. know? And uh, and that's kind of – those are the questions I had when I was a kid. And they never – they just told me to have faith. And I went through with the baptism to kind of make my mom happy, basically. And uh, But my baptism was really hot. I'll tell you about that. Um, <laughs> okay. But – yeah, and the answers were questioned later when I started to convert, and I found my rabbi through my psychiatrist here in L.A., because Hollywood. Sure. And, yeah. And, it, well, I, I have a lot more questions, but let's take a break, and we will be right back. Yeah. We're back with H. Allen Scott. Hey. Uh, first, I need to hear about this hot baptism. Yeah, oh, what's going on? so hot. First of all, where are the Mormons in St. Louis? Well, they're all over St. Louis. So the Mormon history is we started in upstate New York, uh-huh. um, right outside Rochester. That's where uh, Joseph Smith, I always confuse Joseph Smith and Brigham Young. Joseph Smith mm-hmm. um, saw essentially Jesus in like upstate New York and mm-hmm. Then he decided to write the Book of Mormon, and bip, bam, boom, people got on board. And then in New York, people were like, you're crazy. And so they moved to Missouri, Jackson County, Kansas City area. Um, and they started to build up and become a really big force in Missouri politics and just in Missouri in general. And the governor was like, nah, bitch, you got to go. And it was like the first time that a religious group was banned, essentially, from the state. And it caused a lot of problems. And so then they went into hiding, and Joseph Smith got killed, and Brigham Young was like, we got a new, get a new promised land. And so they moved to Utah, and now you know the end of the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, but my family was part of the Missouri group. So there's a lot of Missouri, there's a lot of Mormons in Missouri, and Missouri holds a special place and a dark place for a lot of Mormons. And um, so, yeah, we in Missouri, in St. Louis, for example, there's the Mormon Temple mm-hmm. there right on 40, I think mm-hmm. it is. And uh, Highway 40. And then my family went to a church that is no longer there, but, like, it sort of was in, like, Webster Groves area. Okay. And, uh, yeah, uh, the the baptism was hot. So yeah. explain. When you get baptized in the Mormon faith, you wear this white outfit. It's like a bodysuit. Some people wear a robe, other people wear a bodysuit. And the whole idea is, like, getting baptized in a lake sort of thing, you know? Not as an infant. Not as an infant, no. You have to wait until you're of age, essentially, of sound age, which is like seven or eight, depending upon if you're a boy or girl. I think it might be the same now. Not sure. And I got baptized late because I had so many questions. Like, I was a really bad Mormon. My brothers, we were all bad Mormons. My family's very liberal, like shockingly liberal. My mom always says that we were too poor to be conservative. So, like, you know, we were really pretty liberal. But... Uh, the baptism process, you wear this white bodysuit. You can't really wear anything on underneath, or so I was told. I've heard differently since. And 
I had this one, a missionary sort of follows you during your baptism process, right? Answers all your questions. And then there's the elder of the church who is the one who sort of oversees it. So you have a bathtub that you're in, in front of your entire family with a man holding you and another man standing in front of you saying prayers, wet in a bathtub. I mean, it's a setup for a great porn, first Absolutely. off. And then my, my, my missionary that was sort of my person was so hot. I mean, he was like this beautiful, like, blonde, 19-year-old. I think he was from, like, New Mexico. I forget. But he was gorgeous. And, uh, and he just held me so tight. And, like, basically, that's what he has to do. Like, he has to dip you into the water, and then you come up. And uh, because they ba- delayed my baptism, I was 12 going on 13 when I got baptized. So I was, like, full boner-tastic. Oh my position. God. You know what I mean? Like I was masturbating 17 times a day at that <laughs> yeah. age. And uh, all I could think about was, because I'm not wearing any underwear. And because uh, I was told not to. Mm-hmm. And which I feel like now going around doing festivals for the movie and stuff, I'm getting the the thing that like someone played a joke on me. <laughs> and I was they did supposed, not set you up for success. Yeah, I was supposed to wear underwear. Um, but I wasn't wearing underwear. And I assumed he wasn't either. And when he dipped me into the water... I wasn't thinking about Jesus or Brigham Young or Joseph Smith or any of that. I was thinking about my head being literally an inch away from his dick. Like, just an inch. Like, it was so close. And I couldn't see it, of course. And I really wanted to turn around. But, like, it was like I knew I, – I, when I got in, I saw that, like, the, the very, like, the balls slash, like, if it's long enough, the tip of the dick was, like, touching the water. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I was like, well, it's hot. And then I, I'm held in the water, and he dips me. And, and I, I get really scared of getting a boner. Like, really – like, in that moment. Like, because I'm never – I'm not a nervous person. I'm never really – I'm not nervous in front of crowds. It's just not how I am. And so I wasn't nervous about my family or anything, but I then became very nervous about getting a boner in a white see-through outfit yeah. in front of my family. Yeah, there's and nothing you can put in front of it. Nothing at all. Um, I don't – since they've seen the film and stuff, they've told me that they didn't – they don't remember seeing anything. I don't – I don't know. I don't know if I had a chub. I don't know what happened. But I was a pubescent boy who had some hair down there in a very see-through white outfit with a possible chub at my baptism. And it was hot. It was really hot. Yeah. I hope I got someone hard listening to this. (laughs) Maybe I should whisper. But are your fam- are your is your family still part of Mormon? Uh, my family technically is still Mormon, but my and my brother, my older brother Jason, I have three immediate brothers, but then I have a thirteen half and step siblings because my parents separated. Um, and uh, my dad loves to garden, <laughs> not talking about actual gardening. Uh-huh. And he uh, so he had lots of kids. Um, but my my older brother is still Mormon and still goes to church quite regularly. Um, my other brother isn't really, and then my youngest brother got married to a Catholic and converted to Catholicism. So we have all the religions in my family, um, but. My mom's my mom, and she explains it in the film. My, uh, I never really, when I converted to Judaism, I was worried because like her reaction was a little strange. Like it was easy to be gay with my mom because she always kind of accepted it. You know, mm-hmm. when I was a kid, like she'd always turn to me and my brothers and go like, "Boys, when you grow up and have kids," and then she'd turn to me and go, "Or adopt." Like there was always a caveat for me, mm-hmm. so it was pretty clear uh-huh. from a young age she knew. But the Jewish thing was strange for her. It was like she didn't quite accept it the way I thought she was going to. And uh, she told me 
in the process of filming the movie that um, she just didn't know how Jews treated gays. And she was she knew how the Mormon church had treated gay people. And she just wasn't she wasn't sure how that was going to work out. And she was really hesitant. But she also didn't want to ask me a lot of questions because I was going through chemo and she didn't want to make me. She didn't want to see me get hurt again, right, you know, right. or have more trouble, um, which is a really, really sweet moment in the film. Mm. My mom steals the movie. Mm. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. So you and Michael yes. have been together for how long? Almost two years. We I, met right after I finished filming uh, the film. So I was in Israel and he was on a show called Project Runway at the mm. time. And, uh, and I a was a designer. Yeah. He's a designer. Oh, wow. And I, uh, saw him and we connected on Instagram and then I came back to the States and he, I was traveling around a lot for, with performing in the film and stuff. And, um, he was living in San Francisco at the time. And then he just happened to be moving to Los Angeles, you know, not because of me, but just moving for himself. And it just kind of all happened. And now we live together and uh, yeah, it's great. He makes all my clothes. He's except for this. He made everything I'm wearing. Wow. Um, Gorgeous. And, yeah, it is. It's really nice. And also I do drag as well. And so like he makes all the drag looks and like, it's like, there's a whole industry that we have going on that doesn't make much money, but it's an industry. You're yeah. keeping him yeah. very busy. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. uh, What is your drag name? Sadie Pines. Oh, yeah. Because Golden Girls, which you did the podcast, I did. Uh, sure it's did. now done. We had to finish it because we did every episode. Wow. Uh, but I used to do a Golden Girls podcast. And the once that ended, there was kind of a creative, like, what can we do with this? And for me, a lot of the podcast, because Alaska Thunderfuck was a big part of the podcast, and a lot of drag queens were, and drag was a big part of Golden Girls in general. Mm-hmm. And um, it just so, sort of kind of got birthed. Through that. Yeah. And so we went in a Sadie Pines direction. And now Sadie Pines is doing a lot more Jewy things than Golden Girls things, surprisingly. But yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's working. But I mean, listen, uh, Sophia and yeah. Dorothy were Jewish characters. Yes. Even though they were meant to be Italian Catholics, yeah. Yeah. both of them were very Jewish. Yeah. And uh, I mean, you go to Estelle Getty's uh, plot at Hollywood Forever Cemetery and all it says is like Estelle Getty and it has the Star of David. So mm. she was very Jewish. In fact, right. there's a great story that um, one of the writers told me about when he did the podcast um, where that he was one of the few gay writers on the first season of the show, which is so surprising that it was filled with straight male yeah. writers, but it was. And Estelle Getty um, had a like a Friday night Shabbat that she would hold at her West Hollywood uh, apartment. Uh-huh. And it was essentially a gay Shabbat and she invited him over just to be like you're welcome at this you're part of this because she had famously gotten the role on Golden Girls from playing uh, Harvey Firestein's mother in Torch Song Trilogy right and so she was very much indebted into the gay community and was part of the gay community in sort of a motherly way yeah. and uh, and she continued that role hmm. until the end and, yeah. and there's a story of her and B. Arthur saying like just before the show premiered like why are we Italian? Yeah. <laughs> These are Jewish characters. Yeah. We are very Jewish well, people. Well, they probably, I mean, I don't know. I had a writer friend, I won't say who, who told me that even now on some shows, like a popular show on ABC that involves a Jewish family, mm-hmm. um, that they don't talk about being Jewish a lot. Right. And right. it's, it's I think, still can be polarizing for some, especially maybe middle America and Southern America, that that – Relating to a Jewish family is difficult. I don't know why. As long as you don't explicitly say what it is, it's difficult. You can have the Jewish themes and do the Jewy things, but like, 
being overtly Jewish is maybe, you know, not so much. Yeah. Yeah. How would you characterize your dating life prior to meeting Michael? What was going on? Um, It was, I've always been the type, and I, Elliot Glazer's done this podcast before. He's my best friend, and he and I often uh, bitch about, well, we have a bitch about dating life and stuff. And Elliot is one that, like, he's not as adventurous dating-wise. Like, I'll go on any date for the story. Right. Like yeah. Elliot told me once he connected on Tinder or one app with some Trump supporting guy and he got into a conversation and I'm like, um, go on that date. Yeah. Like go on that date. That is if it's not going to last. There's probably not a love connection. The sex is probably going to be hot. But like go on the date. And he's like, I don't know. We're not going to have like it's this whole thing. And so that sort of defined my dating life is that I would go on any date possible yeah. or like really sleep with anyone just for the story. Like, I was always all about that story. Mm-hmm. Uh, it didn't always go the way I hoped it would. Often didn't. But, um, no, I mean, I had a lot of heartache. I was I was pretty, I was single for, well, single, perpetually single for a long time, especially while I was, from moving to New York to L.A. and then during chemo and stuff. Um, I was single the entire time. I even tried to use, like, cancer to get laid, and it didn't work. Really? People, yeah, you would think, I thought... I really thought this, that, like, saying you're going through chemo on Grinder would get at least a pity BJ or something. Sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, like, sure. nothing came of that. In fact, people would message me with how sad they were, or they would message me with people that they know who had cancer who died. And I'm like, yo, Ooh, I just want to see your dick. I, I'm using this to see your dick. Yeah. Like, I don't want to hear about death right now. I want to maintain this hard on. And, but, and prior to cancer, you're in a perpetually single stage. Yeah, for a few years and, after that. And But I also kind of went a little crazy after cancer. Like after chemo, so I had gotten, I moved to L.A. And then like a week or so later, I got cancer. And I had taken a job. I was on a job and like I had to quit that job because chemo was really invasive and it was going to be a year of recovery and stuff. And then... I really rushed back into work after chemo because I was so eager to like get back to being normal, and uh, mentally I wasn't back to normal. And I had, I was at the, um, oh, what's the movie theater? The old, the Cinerama Dome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the ArcLight. ArcLight. Yeah. Thank you. I was at the ArcLight, and I was leaving the ArcLight, and I hadn't seen a movie or anything. I was just leaving the ArcLight. I don't know why I was there, and uh, I had a meltdown in the garage. I couldn't see. Like I went blind. Like. The, the panic attack got so bad that I just physically couldn't see. And um, and police were called, and it was a oh, whole thing. God. So it was a year after that of— You were in, in remission by, by then, but just— I wasn't in remission. No. Technically, when—it's not true for, of all cancers, but my cancer and my chemo, um, there's a five-year window for remission uh, after the diagnosis date, and then there's a 10-year window because the chemo that I got for leukemia remission. So it's— it's or being cleared of leukemia because you have a window that you could possibly get leukemia in that ten year window, and I'm still in that window, but I'm I was like a year out after chemo, or a few months after chemo when I had the meltdown. Oh, so remission tech technically begins when that window ends. Yeah, I see. Yeah, okay. but I wasn't in chemo. I was just sort of in recovery and getting checked and stuff. Um, but technically, because there's a high chance of it coming back or something else, or it going into another part of your body, they give that long window, and I. I've been out of chemo for a few months when I had the meltdown, and then 
So that was a wake-up call that you needed to address other yeah, things. Yeah, I went to the hospital for a while, and then uh, I went into therapy. And that's actually where I found my psychiatrist for who connected me to my rabbi. So it was sort of a full circle mm-hmm. thing. Um, but it was, yeah, it was a, it was a rough, rough like two years there mm. where I was pretty much out of commission. So there wasn't a lot of dating, but there was a lot of sex mistakes. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> you got to have plenty of those. You yeah. got to have plenty of sex mistakes. Uh, and then after that, it was so interesting meeting Michael because like, and, and, and I don't, I mean, I've been in other long-term relationships and they all kind of have started this way where like, there's never any discussion of a relationship. It just sort of happens. Yeah. It just happens. It just becomes that. Even him moving in, it wasn't a big conversation about like, is are we ready? Are we at that place? It was just like, well, this makes sense, and I really don't want to drive across town. Yeah. Like, let's do this, mm-hmm. and it's and it's worked. But has the experience that you, I mean, you, you, you've lived a life that most of us will never even experience before. Hopefully no one has into, cancer. Yeah. But, yeah. um, before even getting into this relationship with Michael, mm-hmm. did, how did it change your approach to, to dating? Um, yeah, my, I mean, my go-to thing for when anything bad happens is at least it's not cancer, uh, which is like a real downer for a lot of people I get, but I also like being that person. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think in a weird way, I used to be really affected by dating failures before cancer. And I mean, I think with anybody, anyone who has had a traumatic thing happen in their life, that traumatic thing is often the touchstone in which you look to for solace. Like you look to for putting things into perspective so yeah. that things don't spiral out of control and I don't have another blind meltdown at the arc light. Um, and it is a good touchstone. It's still like, it still was a... It wasn't easy because I couldn't connect with anyone, but I often can't connect with people. Like I can't, like I, I, I couldn't communicate necessarily what I was feeling because in some weird way I had this, I think possibly arrogant perception that they're not going to understand how I'm feeling anyway or anything that I've done or gone through or whatever. And, uh, and I just didn't want the questions. So a lot of times I would just either self-sabotage a relationship or a dating thing, or I would just do it for the sex hmm. And go in really, I think, some self-destructive paths. Yeah, I had a lot of self-destructive. I traveled a lot. I, I, uh, I perform a lot in Berlin, oddly enough. And I would go there and get into a lot of trouble. Um, and, yeah, I just did a lot of really self-destructive things. But through therapy, I calmed down and figured out a few things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can we get a Berlin anecdote? Sure. I got robbed in Berlin while getting a blowjob. Um, wow. I, <laughs> yeah, I remember one. Didn't so have I would, to dig too deep for that one. No, I have a go-to story for that. Um, I was I was on – I had just gone over there. This was like maybe a year after – two years after chemo. And I had I had gone over there for like a show and because I used to do this tour group where like we would perform for American students at universities in, in Europe. And – that was me, guys. <laughs> That's huge. <laughs> Wearing lots of jewelry. Uh-huh. Yeah. Dynasty jewelry over here. Um, and and I had I went out and had some fun, you know, drank a little too much. Um, and I went to one of the famous dark rooms at the bars and Berlin bars. And I went down and I'm not I'm not very cool of a person. Like in I'm just not cool. 
uh, like you don't look at me and think cool. Like you look Disagree. at me and well, I mean, but you know what I mean? Like I don't go in and I'm not like, I don't have the gear or like the facial hair. I had a beard for a while and that worked for me, but it just didn't work. I'm just not that person. And so I couldn't meet anyone the way other people were meeting them. Do you know what I mean? Uh-huh. Like coming up in a really intensely sexual way or whatever. So I met this one person who was standing near me and I literally said, you wanna, like that's that was my pickup line and yeah. it worked, and um, I was in a corner and he was blowing me and I and then all of a sudden all these other guys came over and I was like I'm cool you know I felt really yeah. cool uh, and then I, we went to a private space and then afterwards I went up to buy him a drink because you know gentlemen yeah. and um, <laughs> I didn't have my I didn't have any money like I had nothing I had nothing and I was like. What? And I had my wallet, but like I didn't have my ID or anything because I didn't need an ID to get into bars in Berlin. And I am paranoid and leave all my stuff at the hotel. So I only brought money with me um, and business cards. I had business cards. Sure. And uh, I go back downstairs thinking maybe it fell out of my pocket or maybe something happened during the blowjob. And I just see, I used to have these business cards with my face on it with a microphone. You know, one of those old school, like sure, sure. stupid mm-hmm. comedy business cards. And I just see a sea of my face smiling up at me where. Someone clearly took out my wallet, took out my money, put my wallet back in my pants that were on the ground. Like my pants were like at my at my ankles. Wow. And uh, yeah, it was I got robbed. And do you think that he was part of the? Maybe I don't know. I mean, it was worth it. If so, it was a great hookup. But sure. like, I mean, and if 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 he was part of it, he really put out. So like, if, he earned it in a way. Sort of. Yeah. I mean, was. I think like, I don't think he was involved because I don't. I wouldn't do anal. For something that is art, like if the act, if the robberies already happened, I wouldn't continue it and go do anal, unless you're just right. really into me, which right. possible. Hmm. Yeah, it's a beautiful note to end on. It really is <laughs> tender. Oh uh, God! Tell people where they can find you. Yeah, um, I'm H. Allen Scott on everything, and you can go to latterdayjew.com for the film. And uh, and people should listen to uh, oh yes, you're making it worse Uh, with my podcast I do with Elliot Glazer and Brent Sullivan, two Mm -hmm. very funny past guests of this community. This podcast. Well, we haven't had Brent yet. Oh, you haven't? No. Oh, you got to work on that. He's very good. He's awesome. Yeah. Yes. Very intelligent. I'd like to crack that shell. Yeah. Just don't ask him to take his shirt off. Oh, is he? a a a never. It's a thing. He's a never. He showed up to a pool party of mine in a black sweater and jeans. Yep. Yeah. That's that's Brent Sullivan. I'm excited to ask about that. Yeah. Yeah. And I love Elliot. And yeah. I who will best. take his shirt off because I've seen him do it. Elliot will take everything. Well, no, he won't take everything off unless he's in a certain situation. You know what? There's something I really want to settle with Elliot that you can – I'll say this to him in person. But yeah. it only occurred to me after the fact that he he, he did this podcast. We talked a lot about uh, stuff that you talk about on, the, on, the, on, on your show yeah. about gay Toxic Instagram gay influencer. Yes, yeah. all of that. And um, – and him, you know, considering being surprised that he was dating someone because he cons- never considered himself sort of one of the handsomes. And mm-hmm. then uh, shortly after that podcast episode came out, I saw him at a party and I was with my friend Deanna and she'd never met Elliot before. And I was like, oh, you pr- you just heard him. And. She goes, yeah, and then I and I saw the picture they posted of you with because Elliot's got is is ripped. He's he has like a yeah. full like eight pack. Yeah, and she was like very surprising, very yeah. surprising, but whatever, whatever. 
And Elliot said to me later, like, could your friend be a little less surprised about my life? And, and I was like, I totally get it. And I, and I never explained it and followed up with him. But I'm like, oh, no, she she didn't mean like, oh, I never thought you would have. Yeah. She, she Her introduction to him was hearing him on the podcast yeah. and the way he described himself. And then she saw this picture of him and she's like, oh, he's hot. I think that's sometimes the disconnect. He and I have a, a, a heated disagreement over um, the intention of words and how oftentimes, like, for example, mm-hmm. if on Grinder someone messages you and they say, hello, and you're not interested in that person, what is the follow through? Do you say, sorry, not my type, good luck, mm-hmm. or do you just ignore and just yeah. let it not even engage so that there's no pretense of 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 interest? Right. And uh, I'm of I'm of the latter camp. I think don't engage, don't give any yeah, hint sure. of yeah. any interest at all. Yeah. Even that block. sends the same message. Exactly. And it stings a lot less. It I think. stings a lot less. Whereas Elliot just thinks you gotta be nice. You have to be nice, and you have to acknowledge if someone communicates with you that communication you are you're, you deserve a communication back. And I am of the type you don't deserve anything. No. You are owed nothing. Also, your approach is nicer. Yes. Yeah, I think so. And so this person, and I, I, I can, I've experienced this with Elliot too before, where, you know, it's, it's about the, it's about words and how the perception of those words and how we take those words in, and, uh, and that, that's a very common theme. Yeah, it's a very funny theme within Elliot, which is what, which is why I, I love him so much. I understood how he heard it, and I only realized later, oh, she was only saying that because she had. She heard the way that you described yourself on yeah. the podcast and then yeah. saw a picture of you after that. But and I will say Brent and Elliot are a bit of pussies insofar as they can't take any, they won't look at comments, they hate criticism, whereas I, like, get off on it. I know that I can be problematic. And that's sort of the the role that we play on the podcast is that I am the more queer one. I'm the more flamboyant one. I'm the more out there. And Elliot is sort of in the middle area of sort of being in the gay world and kind of hating the gay world sometimes and Brent's basically homophobic and hmm. like of the three of us I find that in the gay community it is often easier for people to criticize the more flamboyant one because we often are the discarded one we're the femme one we're the mm-hmm. you know whatever the drag queen the and who's not meant to be taken seriously exactly and and I think because of that I maybe have have a thick skin with criticism or words coming my way and I don't necessarily think that Elliot and Brent get it all that much mm. and that might be why Mm-hmm. I don't know, but I'm okay. You can hate me. I love it. Just make I, sure you're you only going to get love say my and, name. <laughs> love and positive comments from this episode. Yes. I can tell you that much. Yeah. Hey, Sean, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. 